Well, happy Resurrection Day. It is an honor to gather with believers, not only with you here this morning, but with all, all over the world who declare that Jesus has risen from the grave. He's no longer on the cross. He no longer is in the grave. He is alive and well and truly our Messiah. Can I tell you about a name, man named John this morning? He was born in 1725. John was a mess. He worked on a ship. He was hated by all of his shipmates. True story. He was so wild, a drunk, and a violent man. His nickname was the Great Blasphemer. The Great Blasphemer. He was so bad, he was known as that name. His language was well, he may have created, as some of his shipmates and even his captain has said, that his language was the worst he had ever heard. And he had created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. Incredibly bad person. John was so hated, at one time he was actually fell overboard the ship. His crewmates, his crewmates didn't throw him life preservers. And they threw harpoons at him. How'd you like to be loved like that? He was so arrogant and so rebellious. At one time, his captain couldn't take it anymore. And had the great blasphemer stripped down naked and flogged in front of his men. He was, he was so furious that he decided he was going to go, gonna, he, that he was going to murder his captain and then take his own life. This was his devised plan to execute his plan. A big, uh, but before he could execute this plan, a big storm blew up, hitting the ship, and everyone thought they were going to die. And sure enough, the friend right next to him blew off the ship, and he died. He died. He thinks his life is over, and he finds himself in a moment of the greatest trial of his life. This crushing place, this deep cry of fear, he cries out to God. The very one who blasphemes God, he cries out to him in this moment. And he survived this brutal storm. And in a moment of great desperation, he, he realized the one he hated is the one who saved him. And so he wondered, maybe there's something there. Maybe there is a God and so this guy named John Newton started reading scripture and was transformed wonderfully by the amazing grace of God. And he put pen to paper and he wrote lyrics in 1772 to the song that many of us know very well. It's this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I find was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Today, if I can do something, I, I want to bring uh, some some justice to this amazing grace of God, but I don't know if I even can. I don't know if anybody really can, to be honest. It is so unmerited. It's an unfathomable, amazing grace 
that has been given to us on this very day that we celebrate. So to do that, I want to take a look at Ephesians 2. Yes, I know. It's a little bit of diversion from the story, but we've read the story. This is where Paul himself rambles on about this amazing grace. He breaks all sorts of grammatical rules He run on sentences. He gets excited, much like I get excited and you have heard, I don't finish my sentences when I preach. He's kind of like that. This is how good God is, and I think it is expressed in this this passage from Ephesians 2. But I want to keep it simple for us today, if I possibly can. I want to keep it simple by giving you the notes right up front. So here we go. Paul tells us this. He shows us that God shows us what we were. He shows us what we were. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're not today what you once were. That's just the fact of it. That is the truth. You were. Praise God, right? You were one thing, but God intervened. And then he shows us the theme of but God's in our life. And then Paul writes to us how God intervened Uh, intervened. God intervened by grace. So if you're taking notes, you can just write those spaces in and now you can just focus. Focus on what the Lord is speaking to you, not on my words, but what the Lord by his Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. It's simply this. You were, but God, by grace. You were, but God, by grace. You were one thing, but you're no longer that thing anymore. You had this but God moment I remember mine. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, do you remember yours? It was distinct. Mine was emotional, and it destroyed me. It was great. Yeah, it sounds like it, right? <laughs> by grace, by the grace of God, by the not by the power of your own works, but but not by your goodness. But you were, and not you are not now. But because of that God moment, you have been transformed by a gift, an unmerited gift of God by grace. It's as simple as that. Let's start where you were. Let's start where Paul starts. He says this: As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you, if you decided to follow Jesus this morning, you have been transformed. You're not now what you once were. You are forgiven for your sins. You're new, a new creation of God's making. Not yours, God's. It's his hand. You are dead in your sins. There's nothing you could do. Paul states, all of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the sinful cravings, cravings of, the, of our flesh and following our desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath Can you say this with me? We were deserving of wrath. We were deserving of wrath. Bet you don't go around saying that too often. (laughs) But it's true. Definitely doesn't sound like a message of celebration on Easter. We'll get there, I promise you. If you're without Christ, you are dead in your sins. And God's word teaches us that we're actually deserving of his wrath. That's why we pray for his mercy. We've been called enemies of God because of our sin nature. Friends, uh, if this is new to you, I get it. It's not popular. It's countercultural, and most people would kind of go, nah, I'm not that bad. I've got a good heart. I really like my neighbors. I might not love them, but I like them, you know. 
you know? I'm not as bad as that person. Mm. By nature, when we are born, we're actually sinners. Because when we, when, because when we are the sons and daughters of sinners, all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, we inherit that sin nature. By nature, we're not good. We are deserving of God's wrath. So, we're going to play a little game this morning. It's an all-skate, friends. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And, um, yeah, just follow my directions carefully. Um, how, how many of you, how many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Friends, I, I want you to look around. We're all in. It's an all-skate. Uh, all right, next one. Maybe, maybe not all of us are on this one. We'll see. How many of you have ever stolen something? Taken something that you should not have had, right? So there's a pen in some of your purses or maybe that you have in your briefcase that is from that, that yeah, you get it. Work souvenirs is what sometimes we call them, Right? Third question, have you ever had lingering thoughts, lingering thoughts, listen to me, what your neighbors have and how you want what they have? Have you ever, it's moved beyond like, hey, that's a cool car to now you're thinking about how could I finance this car? That's a lingering thought. Raise your hand. Yeah. Well, you know what you are? Sinner. Because we all are. We all are. Welcome and happy Easter. <laughs> why, why would I hit on this? Because we need to understand that guilt, acknowledging what we have done wrong, guilt is the starting point for grace. It's the starting point for grace. If we don't understand ourselves as sinners, we'll never need a savior And the good news about Jesus is Jesus didn't come for the righteous. Jesus said he came for the sinners. He didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for those who were sick. He didn't come for those who thought they had it all together. Jesus came for those of us who are broken, hurting, and need a spiritual cleansing and healing. He came to set sinners free. That's why the Apostle Paul says, you were, then he says, but God, but God. Now think about the guy who is writing these words. If you don't know his story, we're just going to go through it really quickly. But this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Think about this. He wrote two-thirds of it. But before he was a follower of Jesus, he hated followers of Jesus. He hated them. He literally took their lives. Now, in case we are inclined to kind of go, well, but that's a guy a long time ago. God's not on the same course. It doesn't work that way. It's not really a big deal. It is a big deal. People are losing... uh, (laughs) Our family members, brothers and sisters around the world are losing their lives in the same way that Paul took other people's lives. Can you imagine it? 
And we know stories of this. I don't want to get into it too graphically. We'll walk them down to the sea, and what do they do to them? They take their lives. This is, this is evil stuff. This is needing a transformation only by the grace of God. This is about them. Or this is, this is about us and this idea that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. Just imagine if you could sit down with Paul and he tells you the story of what happened to him in the conversion. I mean, just think about this. I was the guy who killed them. I, I hated them. Everything about them just appalled me. I was breathing murderous threats and getting my way by leaning against the high priest to get letters so I could do what I needed to do to strategize how to rid the world of these very people. Think about this. Wow. But then I was on this journey. I was on this road. And then this bright light. I, I was knocked from my horse. I couldn't see. And then all of a sudden there's this voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And let me tell you, I knew who it was. Who are you, Lord? I asked, though. This same voice said, hey, go see this man, Ananias, a man who well, to be really honest, was a follower of Jesus. I knew it from what he said. And if I were to go to that house, what would he do to me? And what was this guy thinking about me? But I went to his house, and instead of cursing me, this man loved me. This man prayed over me. He even though I deserved nothing but persecution from these very people that I pursued, they loved me and prayed for me. The scales fell from my eyes and suddenly I could see. I was blind, but now I could see. And by the grace of God, this man baptized me and prophesied into my life and told me, Paul, the one who had killed Christians, that I was going to declare the resurrection and the power of the man I used to persecute and hate. Can you imagine? This is why I think he wrote in Ephesians 2 these words, I was, the most, uh, I was the most brutal of the filthy sinners, but God, who is rich in his mercy, you see, we were, you were and I was, but God, and that's how he describes it exactly that way in Ephesians 2, 4, but God. Can you say, but God. Yeah, he says, but God, who is so rich in mercy and love, does so much that even though we were, you were, but God, even though we were dead because of our sins, God gave us life when he, when did he do it? When he raised Christ from the dead, when he raised him from the dead. What does this mean for us today? For years and years in the Old Testament, the people of God would gather together once a year and they would have a celebration. We call it a Passover celebration. It's the reason why Jesus went, it was, Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem a week ago in Palm Sunday that we celebrated. And they would take a one-year-old ewe lamb and they would sacrifice this, this lamb and they would take the blood from that lamb and they put it at the top of the doorpost and then some blood on each side and then 
what would happen? The death angel would pass over them. And they would live. But it was all temporary. It was all in a moment. And it was gone. It was like a vapor. Now, this new covenant, this new covenant with Jesus, whom we have to ask, who is he? And scripture tells us he is the Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine putting the blood over the doorposts of your house? And then, as you did it on the post, that you just put a little too much right there at the center and it begins to drop down on the door. What does it create on the door? It creates a cross. If there's too much in the center, it starts to drip down. It gives us a picture of the cross if you were to do that. It's the same image that we have now in our minds of a cross the blood that was spilt on the cross to forgive us of our sins. The creation mocked the creator by putting a crown of thorns on him and fastened his hands and his feet to this cross. And Jesus cried out from this cross, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they are doing but God who is rich in mercy and loved us so much, then he looked up to heaven and declared, it is finished. Jesus is basically saying, I did everything you sent me to do. Now, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last because greater love hath no man than he that gives his life for his friend. And at that moment, the earth, as we sang, went dark. And the earth crumbled and shook. And the disciples and all those who were followers looked on. And they asked in those moments, just as maybe we watched and waited with him in those moments this week, where is he? Where is he? One day, two days. And on that Sunday morning, when the women went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away, and the angelic beings looked on and posed the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He, he is not here. Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, forgave our sins and changed our life when he raised Christ from the dead. You see, you were, but God, by grace. The, this, these truths in this verse completely changed my life. Back when I was lost, hurting, desperate, afraid, bound for destruction, let me tell you, and dead, dead in my sins. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You were but God by grace. Not by works, but by grace. Not by religion, but by grace. Not by your human efforts, but by grace. Not by perfection, 
or any striving thereof, but by grace. What about this grace of God? It is amazing. You know how, so, how amazing it was? One time Jesus came across a, a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and he saw, uh, and the law was to stone her and all of the religious and hypocritical men wanted to put her to death. They wanted to put her to death. But Jesus knelt down and started writing something in the sand. And we're not sure exactly what he wrote, but many believe perhaps he wrote the sins of the man, men who were trying to stone her. Because one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And... Jesus kneeling there before this broken woman, and broken and sinful woman, said, man, where are your accusers? And she looked up through her tears and said, there are none. There are none. And then Jesus, by grace, by the grace of God, said to her, then go your way. Be free and sin no more. You were, but God, by grace, and the cross on Jesus, and Jesus on the cross hung between two criminals. You may remember this: two thieves. One hurled insults at him and and said, "Basically, you saved others. Now save us. Save yourself." But the other, who was very guilty, looked on. And this man had done nothing wrong. And Jesus looked at this man, who could never do a work but actually stood up for Jesus, couldn't join a church, couldn't give an offering, couldn't do any type of religious work. Jesus said to him, this very day, I will be with you in paradise. You were, but God, by grace. I know some of you here were dead in your sins. You were hurting, you were broken, but you have been changed by the grace of God. You are here this morning. You are celebrating the risen Lord. I know others are here, not just to watch an Easter service. You're here in this moment because you recognize and realize there is something missing in your life. Something you are desperate for. Something that you can't do for yourself. You're desperate for a but God moment. Because we realize in one moment, one prayer, the Savior can change everything as he has done for me. When you call on the name above every other name, the name of Jesus, he hears your prayers. He forgives your sins. You are made right with God and not by your good works or anything you can do, any degree you get, any aspiration you have, it is by God's grace. There may be those of you this morning who say, I need God's grace. You recognize that there is a separation between you and God. There is sin. You need his forgiveness. You're not here by accident you're here by the grace of God to experience his forgiveness and his new life he wishes to give to you. This morning, I would ask you, who of you needs God's grace afresh and anew this morning? Who needs to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the one who created you 
wants to give you life this morning, the life that he placed in his son. Let's pray.